Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a copy of God's Word in front of you to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And if you're watching from home, grab a Bible and get there as well, Ecclesiastes 4. Uh, Let me just remind you what we're doing, where we're going in this whole study in Ecclesiastes. We are seeking to heed the warning in which Solomon, the teacher, is giving us through this book. And what is the warning? Here's the warning. Seeking ultimate meaning in anything other than God is ultimately, what's the word? It's meaningless. Uh, the, the word, the recurring word that we find through the book of Ecclesiastes is vanity, uh, meaningless. Uh, literally, that Hebrew uh, word is the idea of smoke or vapor or breath. You see it for a moment and then it's gone. You, you reach out and try to grab it, but you can't. And, and, and Solomon's giving this warning, the guy who experienced more riches, more pleasure, more career success than any of us will ever know, is going, if, if you're seeking any of those things to be the foundation in which your life has ultimate meaning, you will find that it's like trying to catch a breath on a cold day. You can't catch it. It's not where ultimate meaning is found. Now, now stay right there if you're in Ecclesiastes 4. Um, I'm just going to flip over because every week I said I would remind us that all of Ecclesiastes, as we study it, it's got to be framed with this last concluding statement we find at the end of the book. And so all of it kind of builds to this, this summary. After chapter and chapter of like, if you look for ultimate meaning there, boom, you're not going to find it. Or there, nope, there, nope, there, nope. You get to the end of the book and it says, the end of the matter All has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. So when Solomon says, after tasting it all, after trying it all, after looking here and here and here and here, you want to know what I found life is all about? Fear God and keep His commandments. Now, when we live a life in the fear of the Lord, we are able to live free from the entanglements and the entrapments of looking to other things than God for ultimate meaning. And we're also free to enjoy the simple blessings and pleasures in which God lavishes or showers down on us in our regular old normal life. And so last week we looked at just enjoying the blessings in a day, to get up and enjoy a meal, to go to work and enjoy our work, just that regular rhythm that life seems to have, we can find the enjoyment in which God has given us in this. Today, we're talking about the blessings of relationships. And I use that word relationships in the broad sense to talk about Christian uh, community, Christian companionship. Certainly it applies in these verses that we're going to study today. You have heard at weddings or many of the weddings you would have attended. It applies to the marriage relationship, but there's more than that. How do we walk through life together? And so I I want us to jump right in. Ecclesiastes 4 verse 7. And I, I, I want to read a couple of these verses here to set the context in which we find these pretty famous verses if you're familiar with the Bible. Verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. What Solomon is doing here, he's critiquing the, 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 the kind of workaholic person, 
He's critiquing the guy on the, uh, the, the, the person on pursuit of riches and catching riches. And he's going, but, but here's the thing. He, he, what's he doing all of it for? He never stops and looks around and goes, why, why am I doing all this? Who's, who's with me here? Who's, who am I actually enjoying all of this with in relationship? And Solomon, in these verses and the verses to follow, is going to argue, is going to lay before us, the real riches of life is found in relationships and not necessarily the riches of money. This, this conversation of the joy of relationships is found in the context of combating the the pursuit of riches as the ultimate meaning of our life and so kind of the sermon in a sentence today is this life together is better than life alone can i get an amen to that you're like depends on who together means right who we're together with no life together is better than life alone and we get a great warning here to not pursue things that can't lead to the ultimate meaning and satisfaction purpose of our life, and in the process, neglecting all these relationships that God has given us. And so, uh, a couple statements came to mind this week as I was preparing uh, for this. Um, the, the first statement is this, relationships are often the greatest casualty in the pursuit of riches. Like, if we set out riches to be the end-all, be-all, and everything we're going to focus on, I've often found, just in my short life, the greatest casualties on that path are often the relationships, often the relationships of the people closest to us. The second statement that came to mind this week, don't workaholic your way to loneliness. Don't workaholic your way to loneliness. Just, Just don't do it. You know, how often I've heard that, yeah, but you know, we wouldn't live in this house and we wouldn't do these things and we wouldn't drive these cars with, unless I, unless I, unless I, unless I, and there's a spouse or there's some kids going, listen, we would gladly trade the extra 20 hours you're spending for all this to live in a different house, to drive different cars, to do different things if it meant we got to do it with you. Don't workaholic your way to loneliness. These are the warnings. And so coming out of this then in verses 9, like the next four verses, we get these awesome blessings of life together. Here's why life is better together than it is alone. And verses 9, 10, 11, 12 kind of unpack these things for us. So let's jump into it. Reason number one, that life is better together than it is alone is this. We're simply more productive when we're together. Life together is better than life alone. Why? Because we're more productive when we're together. You're like, that seems pretty practical. Look at what Solomon says in verse 9. Two are better than one. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their what? Two are better than one because they get a good reward for the work they're doing. We can accomplish more together than we can by ourselves. I mean, Solomon is just super pragmatic in these verses. He goes, listen, two people moving in the same direction can accomplish more than go farther than just one person possibly can. Two people working together can get more done. Two people working together for the kingdom can get more done than just one. I had a dad come up after first service. He said, unless those two people are two teenage boys working together. You never know what's going to happen then. But we know two are better than one. Why? There's a greater reward. There's a greater return on the work. As we think about this with the kingdom work that God has called us to. Listen, y'all. 
God has put us on this earth, and he's given us the years that he's given us to get some things done for his kingdom, to pursue his glory through the advancement of his kingdom, and we get more done together than we ever could by ourselves. I'm no, uh, I'm no expert on ancient farming practices, okay? But I do know as you think about two oxen pulling together, often uh, you would yoke an, uh, an older, more mature oxen with a younger ox. And so as the older one would sit out, he knew, walk in a straight line, plow this field, I know what my job is. The younger one's right there with him, and he'd be walking along in a straight line, squirrel! And off he wants to go, and the other says, no, 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 no. Here's what we're doing. Here's where we're going. Eyes fixed on the prize. Eyes fixed on the goal. I say that to say, do you have some people that your life is yoked with who's keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, who you're walking in Christian companionship with, is saying, here's where we're going. Here's what we're doing. God's put us on this earth for his glory. Let's get some things done for his kingdom together. That's how he's called us to do it. You know, our culture we live in is so individualistic, am I right? Yeah, thanks, thanks. Yeah, I'm getting us out of church at home mode here. Um, it's so individualistic, right? And we just like, we, we, we're just so used to like, I, I can do this and I, I'll get it done and I'll do it by myself. And, and we don't think anything of it. It's just kind of the, the, the soil we're planted in. It's the, it's the current we swim in. But there's something that God is always shouting to his people. Life was not meant, life was not meant to be done alone. We're not even to go after the things that he's calling us to alone. God has given us community and other people to do it with. And so I would just ask us, do we have those people in our life we're yoked with? For sure, if you're married, it starts right there in your marriage. Yoked together, pulling in the same direction for the glory of God and the things he's called you to. It starts in your home. Where are the Christian friendships that are pulling towards the things that God has called you to? Accomplishing some things for his kingdom. Two are better than one. Why? There's just a good reward, a good return on their work. Uh, second reason, life together is better than life alone. You ready? We're safer when we're together. Can I get an amen to that? We're just safer together. We're just safer together. Look what he says in uh, uh, verse 10. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him. Hear me. Let me slow it down. Let me say it again. Woe to him. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. We're just safer together. I, don't, I hope this isn't a news flash for any of us. All of us sitting in this room are going to trip and fall at some time. You with me? There's going to be stuff that we hit. We're going to trip and fall. We need people to help us get back up when we fall. We're safer when we're together. Uh, this came to mind this week, and this statement, it's corny, but you'll remember it, all right? Come Tuesday, you'll remember it. You ready for it? Isolation is the danger station. You like that? Call it corny all you want. You'll remember it. Isolation's the danger station. To isolate ourselves is a dangerous, dangerous place. 
Um, you hear the stories, right? We don't, uh, we don't live in a mountainous area, but you hear the story of the, the, the man or the woman who sits out on a, on a, a hike up a mountain and they didn't bring their phone. They didn't tell anyone where they're going. They're going by themselves and all of a sudden you hear something bad, awful happens because they are out hiking alone and something happened and no one was there to help them. Out on a mountain, out on a mountain hike, one sprained ankle, it could be detrimental. But if you're hiking with someone, you throw that arm around that someone, that someone helps you back. Two people pick you up and carry you back out. Isolation's the danger station. We're safer when we're together. We just are. Now let me say this. Let me just try to pastor us here a minute. Because I see a common trend um, in some ways. Uh, I would contend to us that when you're going through a hard season, whatever that hard season might be, um, I see a common trend where people believe, you know, life's hard right now, and what I need to do is isolate myself to try to cope, just try to figure life out, just get away, figure life out on my own, try to cope by myself through this. I would say most of the time that is most likely a lie whispered into your ear from the enemy. Okay, now hear me. I'm not saying that we should never get away and just be alone with the Lord and have time for silence and solitude, just us and Him working it out. I'm saying when life has hit the fan and things are hard, maybe sin is ever-present, temptation is there, um, um, we, are de- we are spiraling in despair and people say, I just need distance, I just need to get away, I just need to cope. I'm telling you, that is often a lie whispered from the enemy. You isolate yourself and the despair, despondency, depression will just keep spiraling. You isolate yourself during seasons of intense attack, the attacks will only uh, intensify. It is often the times we feel like being around other people the least that we got to be around them the most. And so lean in. And I would say this on that point. Our tendency when we have really blown it I mean, we've sinned and we've hurt some people. Our tendency at that point is to really distance ourselves. We're embarrassed. We might be mad. We might be point, wanting to point the, other fi- the point the finger at other people. When you've fallen, when you've really messed up, when you've sinned, and y'all, it, it's going to happen. It happens. Do not pull away from your Christian community. And let me say the flip side of this. When the people in the family that we love, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, when they really blow it and when they really sin, do not pull away from them at the moment. Talking to a dear friend of mine, and, and he, he blew it. He knows it. He made some decisions, and it created a lot of pain. But he, he, you know, he was in another city. You don't, you don't know him. You don't know the, the believers he was around. But he just said, man, I'll tell you what. I blew it. I know it. I'll own it. I did. But he's like, where did all the Christians in my life go when I blew it? And I'm not sitting there on the other end of the phone looking down on that church or those Christians in that city. I'm looking at my own life going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know when I pulled away from something there because it just was too messy. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I just left someone hanging. No, when, when we blow it, we lean into Christian community. When the people we love blow it, we lean into Christian community. Y'all, we're safer together than we are alone. Let your pastor know you're with me. We are. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other. 
Two are better than one. Why? Because if one falls down, there's another one there to pick him up. Woe to the one who falls and doesn't have anyone there. I'll tell you what, we're all going to stumble and fall at some time. We need people with us in that time. Related to this, the third reason why life together is better than life alone. Thirdly, we're cared for when we're together. It's similar to two, but there's some nuances to it. Look at where he goes in verse 11. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. One is cold, one needs warm. If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? There are times we come to seasons of life, we come to situations in life, we come to certain things, circumstances in life that happen, and we just need help. We need other people right there with us to care for us. We need help. And it's hard to admit when you need help. It is way easier to help other people, I have found, than it is for you to put your hand in the air and say this scary statement, we need help. You with me? It's hard to ask for help. But there comes a point in all of our walk where we just need someone to, get, to draw near to us and to help us because we need cared for and we need help. And there comes times in the life of other people in our family here where they need help. And it's our job to draw near and to care for them and to help them through those times. This is one of the reasons why we have small groups. And we don't just have small groups because churches should have programs. And so we do small groups as a program and, and great. We have small groups because we cannot care for each other in the true biblical sense of the one another's of Scripture most effectively when we're gathered in a room this size with this many people. So you take a room of this size times three services right now and you break it up into smaller little cohorts of the church and you gather in a living room in a circle and you put God's word at the center of that and you put the glory of Jesus Christ as the focus of it and then you get transparent and you get real and you get vulnerable and you get accountable. It's crucial. I need it. And I know you do too. And it's hard to get vulnerable. I mean, people ask, how you doing, Brock? Doing great, doing great. No, 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 like I really want to know how you really doing. Doing good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. But you know what? There's just some times where it's like, you know what? I'm not good. I'm not good. Yeah, this is hard. We need help. And to be able weekly, week in and week out, to sit in a home and to look each other eyeball to eyeball, to get to know each other so well that when Brock goes, I'm good, someone goes, no, you're not. No, I think I really am. No, you're not. I can see it in your eyes. We have to have that. You with me? And I want us to experience what it's like to be the church of Jesus Christ where actually the one another's happen. We're caring for each other. I want us to know what, what we see when we flip open to the book of Acts and you're like, these people just loved each other. We can taste that here. The same spirit working in our midst as we read about in the book of Acts. We can really taste it. Let's go get it. But you know where it starts? It starts with me and with you when we hit those seasons of life going, we need help, seriously. We need help. Someone draw near and care. And then when you need help, we'll be, we'll be drawn near and caring for you. 
but there just come those times where to use the, the wording of the verse there where we're just cold and we need someone to come and draw near and spiritually help. Life together is better than life alone. You convinced that? You convinced yet? Come on. Five of you? Yeah? All right, here we go. Life together is better than life alone. Why? Because we're more productive. We get some things done for the kingdom. We're safer. We're cared for. Last one, we're stronger. Life together is better than life alone because we're stronger when we're together. Look what it says in verse 12. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold, even better, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We're stronger when we're together. We can withstand the slimy schemes of the enemy better when we're together. We can help each other stand better when we're together. I was walking down to the mailbox uh, a couple weeks ago. I got to the end of our driveway, and I noticed as I was coming down, there was a bird just standing on the driveway, and, and the bird had caught my eye. And typically, once you walk closer to a bird, a bird flies away. And uh, this one wasn't flying away, and I got closer and closer and still just standing there, standing there. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm right here now between the bird and I, and I quickly realized this bird's hurt. And so I threw my um, vet, veterinary paramedic jacket on, and um, I began to, like, lean down. And as I'm leaning down, I'm like, I don't really know what I'm going to do if I get the bird, but I'm going to try to help here. And as I'm leaning down to try to help this bird, boom, from the, <clears throat> from the tree, this bird swoops in my head, and I, like, back up. And all of a sudden, that one goes back up, and another bird swoops. And I'm like, I'm under fire. And I, I just am, like, backing up, swoop, swoop, swoop. This, these birds would go limb to limb to limb, back me up all the way to the side door of my house. I'll be man enough to say I was scared, okay? And they, they backed me up all the way to my house, got me away from this vulnerable and weak bird. And I thought, how cool is that? You got this weak and vulnerable hurt bird laying on the pavement and just his buddies are like, aerosol. I need people like that in my life. We need people when we're weak and vulnerable laying on the pavement to go, hey, I got you. You might not be able to fight right now, but I'll fight for you. I'll fight with you. In order for this strength, we're stronger when we're together. And it, it necessitates that we can confess when we're weak right now. In order for this to happen, we have to know there are seasons where we just got to say, God, I'm weak and I need your strength. And look at our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and go, I'm weak and I need your strength. And to truly actually begin to experience that it's when we are weak that we are strong. To realize that weakness really is the canvas in which God's strength and the strength of God's people comes through. And I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to go, hey guys, guess what? I just got to tell you, I'm weak. That's hard. But there's something about it when God's people band together, empowered by His Spirit, that we see strength shine through at times where we are weak. We need each other. We're stronger when we're together. We're stronger when we're living in accountable companionship with fellow believers, which gives us strength to overcome the schemes of the enemy. Life together is better than life alone. Period. Now, if we believe this, we got to act on it. 
if we believe this, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta apply this. We gotta do some things with this. And I just wanna give us three, before I send us out of here, I just wanna give us three points of application on this message right here. Here's the first point of application. There is no life together strong in the Lord without first being connected together with the Lord Jesus Christ. It just, there's not. So I don't want you to hear this sermon and go, man, yeah, I was church today. It was really good. Like, it was about, like, just have good friendships. No, no, no. It's more than that. Unless Jesus Christ is in the mix here as the Lord of our life, there is no strength together. The first one, if your life is not united to Jesus Christ, the first one you need to, you need to be united together with is the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life. He, a holy and perfect God created you. He loves you. He loves you. He created you for a relationship from the beginning. As we start Genesis this fall, we're going to see that from the beginning, God created the man and the woman for perfect relationship with him. The union we were supposed to experience with the creator of the universe was off the charts. And, and then we sinned. Every single man and woman, except for Jesus Christ, God in flesh who walked this earth, has sinned, who has fallen short of the glory of God, has transgressed and rebelled against a holy and perfect God. I'm a rebel, you're a rebel. I've chosen my own way, you've chosen your own way. God did not write us off at that point. Instead, he drew near. He came nearer to us after sin in coming in flesh, sending his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, who was tempted in every way, just as you and I are when he walked this earth, and yet did not sin. Why? So that he could be the perfect spotless lamb of God to go to the cross of Calvary to pay our atoning death on our behalf so that after he died, and after he was buried, and after he rose again, conquering sin and death, we might cry out to him in faith and belief and say, I need you. I can't earn my way into a right standing with you. I come at the feet of Calvary, and I cast myself before the cross, and I say, save me, Jesus. Oh, that you might cry the same thing if you've never cried that from your seat right now. Save me, Jesus. Save me, Jesus. And you're like, okay, how's that work? What do I do? Is there like a certain lockbox code of the right words I got to say in order for him to save me? No, cry from your heart for the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, and he will be faithful to meet you in that. Or you're like, okay, is that the application, and then I got to do the work in order to earn that? No, no, no. There's no work that has to be done after that. You are saved by the free grace of the gift of God. That's where it starts. You got to be united together with Christ. Once we are. The second thing I would ask of us, are you in Christian community? Like, really, really. Like, as you look at these things, you're like, am I pulling in the same direction with other people, with our eyes fixed on Jesus to get some things done for the kingdom? Am I safe right now? Can I look around and go, yeah, yeah, if I fall, there's my spouse, there's our family, there's my, my friendships. If I fall right now, man, there's guys ready, there's ladies ready, just scoop me up, boom, we're good. Am I strong right now? 
Are we doing life together with people? Are we cared for? You just look, are you in Christian community? If not, if you've been around, if you've called Redeemer home for a long time and you've never gotten into a small group, you've never taken the step to move from a room this size with this many people into a living room with a small group of people, like, now's the time. You're like, I've tried it, try it again. You're like, no, we did try it again, and then, no, try it again again. It's worth it. It's worth it. Yeah, and we went, and the first night it was just kind of awkward. I know, but when's the last time you walked into a setting with all new people and it wasn't awkward? It's an awkward worth it. (laughs) Or it's a worth it awkward. Because when you plunge through that, it's sweet. It's worth it. It's worth it. Do not, do not settle for a walk with Jesus that's just okay with the gathering of the large church on Sunday. It's crucial. I think we saw that in the last season, how crucial it is to get together all together as one big happy family. But then it's crucial to get in a smaller circle with people who truly know what's going on in my life, who we can really do the one another with. Take the step if you haven't. And then the third thing I would say to prioritize relationship, to prioritize life together. Where do you need to rework your daily, weekly, monthly rhythm in order to prioritize the relationships in your life that God wants you to prioritize? Where do you need to rework your daily, weekly, monthly rhythm in order to prioritize relationships? So I'll just say it. If you're working 65, 70, 75 hours a week, you got to look at some things. I'll say the other side. If you're working 15 and trying to make full-time, like, you got to look at some things, okay? But, it, but, if, but if you're all out of whack on that, there's, there's an aspect where like the literal or figurative, figurative uh, work punch card in our life can really tell us a lot. And you're like, well, yeah, it's all, that's great and everything, but you don't understand. Like we just can't, we can't do it. I can't make it happen. I can't, I can't, I can't. Try. Just go, man, I'm going to shave those 10 hours there. And I'm going to give those 10 hours back to my family. And we're going to trust the Lord. Where do you need to reprioritize? Uh, those of you who are parents and you still got kids in the house, where do you need to reprioritize some time things, some different things, so that you can make the most of the years that God gives us with the kids under our roof? I'm convinced, those of us with kids in the house, we need to go talk to an empty nester every single week. And we need to let them just look in our eyes and say, it goes so fast. It goes so fast. Erica and I walk into this grocery store at times with all four kids, and we'll get stopped multiple times. They'll go, hmm, four little ones. It goes so fast. We're like, okay, you shop the rest of the time with them, see how fast it feels, right? <laughs> no, we just need to hear it. We need to hear it. It goes so fast. It goes so fast. Tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us, tell us. And help us to prioritize around that reality. Where do we need to prioritize Doing life together with deep Christian friendships. I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. Where do we need to prioritize? Actually picking up the phone, making sure we're calling mom and dad every week. How do we reprioritize some things around the blessings of relationship that God has given us in our life? Because at the end, when we're sitting on our front porch in a rocking chair with a glass of Arnold Palmer, I'm telling you, you know what we're going to be talking about? Those sweet memories we had relationally. Let's make the most of them now. Redeemer, go ahead and stand. Let me send us out of here.
Uh, my prayer for us this week is that the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace in believing so that we may abound in hope. That he'd be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. I pray that we would know the joy of life abiding together with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and that we would know the joy of truly walking.